Alrighty. Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. It's supposed to be nice tomorrow. It's gonna be Giddy. stupid uh, nice tomorrow. 26 degrees, I believe. Yeah. We're almost into, like, Sweets' discomfort zone. <laughs> well, to the extent <laughs> that we're not always in some version of Sweets' discomfort zone. <laughs> Fair. Fair point. <laughs> Are you enjoying uh, this? I know you're, you're, you're getting some fresh air because we crossed paths at a safe distance on a sidewalk last night. Oh, you're frozen. Can you hear me? Did we both freeze or did I freeze? I can hear you. You are moving just fine. Can you hear and see me? I can see you, yes, but you froze for a sec. Are we good now? Yeah, you're good. We're going to have one of those nights, I guess. Uh, it's possible. Oh, well. We'll just, uh, do do? We'll just roll with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you saw me on a run last night. I stopped. I feel like neither you or Becky wanted me to stop. I was like... No, please let me stop. No, no, no. It's not that at all. Um, but I certainly didn't want you to feel like you had to stop just because you were pat. Like you were on a roll, you were running, and oh no, I knew you guys wouldn't mind if I kept going. No, exactly. Like if I was running and I saw like somebody I sort of knew, I would be so happy to just keep chugging along past those people. So I wouldn't have won. Not that you and I only sort of know each other, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the difference. I guess it is. I have run past people before. Oh yeah. You just give them a quick little wave. Like, hey. Yeah. How's your week um, otherwise? How you doing? Not too bad. Staying busy. Yep. Getting ready. Yep. You yep. built that fence. Built that fence. Hell yeah. Dang. Might try to put an electrical outlet in uh, outside on the deck sometime this week, which like, I don't know. I've done it once before with my dad. Yeah. It requires... Um, a bit of an aptitude that I think I have, and I think it will probably take three times the amount of time it should because I would be watching like some videos too just to make sure I was doing it right. Yeah, be very careful. My dad, who's a very handy person and usually has to learn how to do the thing as he does it, but tends to be pretty able, he draws yeah. the line at electrical. He says, I'm not doing that. And I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if the... If the electrical's off, like it, the actual process wouldn't be dangerous if there was live electricity running. Right. But I could also see how someone would hesitate um, to install their own thing because they're worried about an issue. I find my dad's my dad's only done that stuff himself. Yeah. So he kind of learned like, I don't know, he hung around like a ragtag group of, uh, of, uh, Banded people electricians, from, people from many, many vocations where he was able to learn like all the dad stuff you had to learn. Vigilante tradespeople just doing work for people. That's right. I see. I draw the line at natural gas. I'm not going oh. to do anything that involves our heating system. I'm like setting something up. Is no. that going to be more complicated or equally complicated that you're doing it outside? Like you'll have to involve a ground in some capacity. Yeah, you always have to involve ground. Okay. But um, the outside, it, it just requires a, a, a little bit of a bigger, more intense box that um, also has like a little bit of like weather protection. It's called a GFC, an outdoor GFCI. Okay. Um, anyway, I don't think it's going to be insanely different from installing a regular outlet. But honestly, my dad will probably be by my side the whole time. He was, he was, 
also with me when we were putting up the fence. So. Are you bubbling with your parents? Yeah, we essentially are. Yeah. We haven't, uh, I haven't been that close to anyone else. <laughs> so. Right. But you I, haven't like I officially think... made that call. I haven't officially made that call. We were also out on the deck with Jen's parents on yeah. the weekend. Right. But like, we, you know, we were still staying distant. So it's like. This is a thing I'm starting to see happen a little bit more is deck hangs. People like kind yeah. of bending the rules. And, and by the way, I'm not judging because like. I think all of us just need, <laughs> while we're trying to preserve the health of our lungs, we're also, I think, in need of preserving our emotional health. And like something kind of flipped in this last week where provincially we were allowed to create some kind of a bubble family. And symbolically, that seemed to be tide turning for a lot of people where it's still really important to physically distance and wash your hands and not touch your face and and uh, not go to the office and so on and so forth. It seems like people are like, okay, but this must mean something good. Yeah, I and I kind of think like, a friend broke it down too, and he was like, "I think every time they allow something, they're they're preparing for this much more leeway being taken." So that's interesting. I think what they're what really kind of like what they're expecting now is that people will hang out with their immediate families. So when they give us an inch and we take a mile, really, they have calculated that for that mile to be okay. I, that's that's his theory, which I, I kind of. I think makes sense. It's comforting and uh, idealistic. <laughs> Hopefully there's yeah. some truth in that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not fact-checked or anything. But um, but there's also a thing, too, where people are like, we can, I think it's loosened a little bit where, like, I don't think Stephen McNeil and Dr. Strang are quite as much saying, like, don't socialize. Right. I mean, I, I've always kind of struggled with some of the, the ambiguity of their language where they would say you have to be six feet apart from anybody who doesn't live in your household at all times, but also no hanging out in groups of more than five people. And that's right. such a vague instruction that it seems to conflict a little bit with the, with the former. And so people yeah. tend to adapt these vaguenesses to best suit their own lifestyle or, or kind of read between the lines in search of some way to be excused uh, from the greater rules. And so I've always been a little bit concerned. I don't know. I, I kind of get it from both both sides. I think probably they're relaxing because they know it's it's safe to do so. And on the other hand, there was a lot of talk today about the fear of uh, a second wind, a second wave in the fall. Yeah, that's, that's really been making a trans lately, the whole second, which has kind of been thrown out there a lot, peppered into other conversations, but now it seems to be like a lot of headline news. Right, and don't you don't you think it's kind of scary that by the time a second wave comes around, we'll all be desensitized to the words COVID nineteen and coronavirus, and we'll be like, "Well, like I didn't get it last time. It's not going to be worse." Here it comes again. Could yeah. be worse, and then we get all lazy. Well, that's the thing, and people are saying like it's not that we've like achieved herd immunity or anything. We've just done a good job of social distancing. Yeah, so far. So we need to like keep that up. Yeah, and then there's the other um, the other kind of realm of people saying. Um, you know, I thought we were just supposed to flatten the curve and now it seems like we're like waiting for a cure. Yeah. Like what is our, <laughs> which is kind of true. It, it's like, hey, hey, we just want to flatten it. And then like, once we get past that, I think that was for people's mental health. They didn't want to say like, we can't do anything until there's a vaccine. Yeah, but I don't think that anybody's saying we can't do anything until there's a vaccine as evidenced by us being allowed to have bubble families now. And every couple of weeks, they, they roll load a little more relaxation i think it's kind of funny though when announcements are made to sound really ominous like you know this might not be over until 2022 
yeah, it might be 2022 before the last person has COVID-19. But right. that doesn't mean by then you won't, for all intents and purposes, be going about some version of normalcy. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I think, um, I think again, in Nova Scotia, we, we're so lucky. Yeah. Because we're, we're so spaced apart already. Whereas like New York still has 270,000 cases per day. It just seems like constantly just, not per day, sorry, but it's like consistently has 270,000 active cases. Totally. I mean, just look at the difference between Canada and the US and, and taking out the political strategies of, of those two nations and just look at the geography. We're like twice as big. Our nation's like maybe not twice as big, but it's in landmass so much larger than the US. Granted, not all of it is uh, equally inhabited. Um, right. But they have 10 times the population of Canada. So yeah. when you go to the States, you don't even notice walking on the sidewalk how much more uh, densely populated it is. But I guess that's because it's only in certain states. New York City, for example, where everybody's stacked on top of one another. And that was like yeah. the, the global hotbed at one point. Now, I heard on a podcast this past Monday that like apparently the governor said something like, it's going to be another three months that we're basically going to have to like shelter in place kind of thing. Did, did you hear anything similar? Where's that? Is anyone in California? In California. I mean, yeah, but that doesn't surprise me. Does that surprise you? Well, it, it seems like it's kind of the opposite direction of how we're, we're going, you know? Do you, yeah, I guess it won't surprise me if a lot of people are still working at home in three months. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe it'll be just kind of the same thing. Or they might like have maybe, to, maybe we're more on par than I I really thought about. Maybe they have to create some kind of uh, some kind of tier system where like <laughs> you know where in you're in elementary school and you're like there's two groups in the class of reading buddies and you might be like an apple or a banana and like they split the class in half and right <laughs> am I making any sense at all? <laughs> no, yes, you are. And and then I remember that happened in grade four in um, Mr. McGinnis's class. And I wasn't in his class because he was kind of a mean guy, apparently. Okay. And, that's why uh, you opted out of Mr. McGinnis's class. And that's class. why I wasn't in it. That's <laughs> all, I, I always thought that my mom had my best interests at heart. And right. like really directed which class I ended up in. You lucked out. Uh, but he, he had like the sun moons and the like, 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 I forget. It was like the sun, the moon, the stars. Like there were these four different groups. And one was essentially like the difficult slash like uh, unintelligent kids. Yeah. Like people well, were like, wait, we're all in this together. What the hell? It's like in the John Mulaney bit where they split all the math class between the two groups. And one group was called the Blue Angels and they were named after the fighter pilots. And the other group was called Group Two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. He doesn't sound like it was a mean guy if he named the the interclass groups after such ethereal beautiful things as the as the moon and the stars no i think he was like i i talk to my friends about it sometimes one of my friends my friend alex was in his class and and he's like oh no like he was he was not a nice guy <laughs> okay all right <laughs> anyway all that to say we might have our workplace communities like divided up into little quadrants where you work at home tuesday thursday but you work in the office monday friday and you know i call the blue angels <laughs> i want to be group two for sure i've been group two for this whole damn time let's face it <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what's gonna happen yeah yeah but i mean hey it's still the time to uh ingest content although i feel like 
So we haven't talked about the last dance for the last like five weeks. So that's done. I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to ask you if you're satisfied. Is it, and this is what I heard. This is not my, my terminology. Okay. Is it the Michael Jordan of sports documentaries? It really is. Yeah. Like it's, it, it held up. It was amazing. Um, and in the sense that it showed, you know, kind of how much of a dick Michael Jordan could be. Okay. And he addresses that too. And it gets into some of the crazy, like, you know, gambling stuff. And, but at the end of the day, he did have the final sign off on it. So yep. it, it looked good, good on him, but like, he wasn't, wasn't afraid to delve too much into the, um, you know, kind of crazier. Well, it would be not only boring, aspects. it wouldn't be just boring if it sanitized all of the drama. It would also be yeah. obviously untrue because people know there's sketchy stuff. But one thing you might like, Steve Kerr, who's the the coach of the Gold State Warriors. He I know was on who the Steve team. Kerr is. I know. Okay. 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 Uh, so he was on the team. Like he won a, a couple championships and they did this whole like 10 minute arc in episode nine. That was like, Oh, it made you want to cry. Like mm. his dad was a professor of um, Middle Eastern politics and actually moved to Beirut to be like the lead professor there in his first year of university. Ends up getting killed. Um, and he just like turned his whole life into basketball. And he like, he was like a walk on in university. He accepted a scholarship without even seeing the school. Wow. Just like grinded, grinded, grinded. And then it like over the course of this 10 minutes, it ends with him hitting the game winning shot in 1997. Yeah. And like, uh, it's, and it's, he's so humble about it. Like he's, he, he pokes fun at himself and he is such a nerd. Like Michael Jordan, like has a, a glass of Gatorade in front of his face and, and it's the last second of the game, like they're in a timeout and he goes like, Hey Steve, if they double team me, you, you just be ready. Okay. Like he's saying it under his breath. Cause there's a camera on him and yeah. Steve Kerr goes like, okay, Michael, I'll be ready. Like <laughs> I'm ready. Like he's, he's so nerd, but it's so funny. It was so like, uh, it made me want to cheer for Steve Kerr and whatever he does. I didn't know about that. I don't, I mean, I do know who he is because he's been central to the few NBA playoffs that I've actually been glued to uh yeah so he is a likable like championed figure then people are mostly pro kerr yeah I, I i don't think there's too many people that are and he was a good media guy too like he he did some play-by-play that he story was, makes me like him a lot likable. just like the younger steve kerr that's very charming oh man that was that was probably the one point in the michael jordan documentary that i like i could have could have cried really yeah it was like it was a super like great part of the whole of the whole series so you're sad it's over i am sad it's over it, it was great though like i was so i've watched all of it twice like i'm watching it again just while i'm working out oh okay is it good for and working out do you find that it energizes you because of the the spirit of michael jordan and his dedication to greatness dude i watch that show and i want to like run through a brick wall yeah if I'm like doing push-ups or something and like I'm hearing some of the quotes, I'm like, oh man, Michael Jordan would not stop right now. Man, there's a reason Nike's slogan is just do it. You know what I mean? Like it's really yeah. easy. I don't know if you're like, uh, you're more easily seduced when you're in an exercising state, but it's really easily, it's really easy to be motivated and, and propelled by um, like boilerplate motivational posters and phrases like this is why Gatorade commercials they're so corny but they work <laughs> oh 100 percent. I'm the most like 
I can be so influenced by such small things. Yeah. Like even hearing two sides of an argument, I'm like, Hmm, that person made a good point. I'm going to go with them. And then, and then I hear like you say something. I'm like, that other guy was an idiot. I'm going with sweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it, when Michael Jordan signed with Nike, they were like a track shoe. Yeah. Like he was like, I wanted to sign with Adidas. Like it didn't, I wasn't pumped to sign with Nike. They were not like, a basketball Nike, shoe. No, they became their own thing through Michael Jordan. Like they became a multinational company <laughs> wow. through Michael Jordan. Does he have uh, interest in that? Oh yeah. He's yeah? still releasing Jordans every year. Oh, well, yeah. I, I guess I knew that. So I don't know that I knew that Jordans were under the Nike umbrella. I kind of figured they were their own thing. No, no. Air Jordan is is like Air Jordan came because there was like an Air Nike like Nike Air was its own thing. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But did they call yeah, him honestly, Air Jordan? Was that his nickname? Like cuz he he got so much air. They started calling him that after the Nike deal after the shoe. I like see. the the shoes were Air Jordans. Did you see who else got a sneaker? No. Terry Fox. Oh. Terry Fox has had a sneaker for a while. Okay, I didn't know this, but they just I guess they just released some and it sold out. Did it sell out? Yeah, I, I saw Terry Fox's brother. Uh, he had a quote that was like, I'm going to go on tomorrow and try to buy it. He's like the spokesperson for the Terry Fox Foundation. They're these but, like uh, classic, awesome, like blue suede, white stripe Adidas. And they have yeah. in gold stitch, they just have Terry Fox on the side and they just sold out in like minutes. They're, they're they really are, genuinely stylish kicks. They are cool. Yeah. my Actually, Alex, again, whoa, this is weird. He had a pair of those uh, in high school. I would get a pair for sure. I mean, everybody loves Terry Fox. It's a it's a great conversation starter. I was thinking like this: the last dance had made has made me want one of the pair of like '90s Jordans really badly. Yeah. But then I was like, Michael Jordan or Terry Fox? Like, there is clearly an <laughs> angel and a devil. <laughs> you know, in this discussion. Like, <laughs> I feel like there could I, be. I a, knew those were going to sell out. There could be a better Terry Fox movie if if a doc. There's probably been lots of good documentaries, but like. And I'm sure there's a made-for-TV CBC bio about Terry Fox. I know there is, in fact, because I was shown it yeah. multiple times in school. Right, but... and that's that's the one with, like, Robert Duvall as the trainer. Yes, that's right. It's so weird that yeah. he's... Yes, okay. Well, then maybe this is not such a good idea, but I, for some reason, I always think Ron Howard is the guy to do our, our cool stories because he's just, like, he makes good, like, human content. Ron Howard should do yeah. the Terry Fox story. There you go. Post it. Pitch it. Okay. I'll try and get a meeting with Ron Howard. <laughs> Hollywood executives, if you're listening, on we want to talk to Ron. On Sunday night, I had a return uh, from the uh, Insomnia Monster for the first time in a little while. Oh, no. And uh, I tweeted about this. I, I mean, I've had like sleep problems uh, on and off for my entire adult life and like then some. And at some points, it's been like really debilitating. It hasn't been like that in a long time. Um, but I was having a terrible night's sleep and I woke up. At like 4, 4.30, which I know I've, I've done a lot of times, but usually with a purpose somewhere to go uh, for morning radio or otherwise I just lie there and I kind of rage against the backs of my eyelids. And for whatever reason, I was awake enough that I knew I wasn't going to get back to sleep and my mind was racing about absolutely nothing and it was the end of a long weekend. And uh, I could tell it was sunny outside. It's five o'clock. And I got up and I went for an eight kilometer run at 5.30 in the morning. Whoa. And uh, it was... It was beautiful. It was like it it was it was so cool to turn 
what is normally uh, this taunt uh, in my life, this like this like kind of evil thing that like nibbles on my shoulder to turn it into something productive. And I, I felt like pretty shitty for the rest of the day because not only did I only get like 90 minutes of sleep that night, but I ran 8K <laughs> and then I yeah. like had to go to work. But I, I felt shitty uh, and I knew that I had something to show for it. And so it was like, yeah, you made me think of it when you when you were talking about being motivated by by sports figures or or advertising, and I was just, it was it was a nice thing. We were also talking recently about about when is the best time to go for a run in times of physical distancing, and it's if you can get yourself up five thirty in the morning on a beautiful spring day is pretty great. Oh yeah, yeah. Jen loves waking up at six o'clock. She wakes up earlier on the weekends, and we'll go for like a walk or a run. Yeah, yeah. It's a great call. I um. I'm jealous of that. I, and 8K too. Look at you like yeah. pushing it. Well, and the other thing, uh, uh, I wanted to segue into what we've been watching this week. Um, I think one of the things that was keeping me up was normal people. <laughs> Why? Dude, it's it's so good. It's I look. I here's my here's my page. I've I've written a little little 300 word blurb because I want to get it right. I want to phrase this right when I tell you why this is special okay um, go for it okay so i'm just i'm just gonna read what i wrote sure this is among the most evocative depictions of a fictional love i've ever seen on screen and i hesitate to even say that it's fictional because nothing that's not real could possibly feel so honest but i guess something can be fiction and true at the same time it's been four days since I finished watching this series, and I'm still rocking in its wake, still drifting in and out of a strange emotional state with which I'm not familiar. I've been long-term impacted by movies and music before, but I can't remember taking something so personally as I do this. I wanted all through the 12 episodes to have it clearly addressed why it's called Normal People. And it's never obvious, but I think the closest I'll get is to understand that it's a show about all of us. I realized today, the strange thing I'm feeling is a sort of blend of heartache and grief, genuine grief. I've been happily in love for years, and those years have spared me potentially a lot of both heartache and grief. I've been very lucky. But we must keep within us the capacity to recognize a broken heart, even deep inside our well-worn adulted brains. I suppose it's still inside us to see how those who hold our hearts hold them up. To hurt is to be, and I think this show is a reminder. So I can't, I kind of want this state to last. I think for the last few days, it's made me less cynical, more appreciative. I think it's really real. And I don't want to oversell it, as I so often do, hyperbolic as I am. But I think it's a perfect thing, this show. And like love itself, it exists only in our heads and hearts. And that's what makes it real. Wow. So you like the show? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so That's... interesting. It is. It is like the because I, I do. I do hyperbolize and and I tend to, I tend to oversell something that I think is good, and then sometimes that has negative effects because people watch it and they're like, "Whiplash was fine. Back off." Sure. Um, but most recently, I guess I did that with Fleabag, and it's not like that was a hot take to say that Fleabag is very moving. But Fleabag is like an extraordinary piece of writing, and the acting is great, and especially in in part two. Um, but like as a writer, I found Fleabag really extraordinary. Uh, and this is ironically originally a piece of writing. Um, but it's just the whole package. The performances are like exquisite. Um, and the cinematography is exquisite and the needle drops are exquisite. 
Um, and I like today, I just was thinking about normal people and I started to cry by myself. Oh my God. Yeah. I know so, it's good, but like, I don't know if I want to be in a state of, of like mourning grief. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, I, th- I think that, I think that I'm richer for having seen it. And I, I it's, like, I can't wait to see it again. It. Yeah, I can't wait to see it again. And I would never want to wear it out for myself. So like, I have to be wary for the rest of my life about how often I choose to watch this show because it's wow, like, man. it's yeah. Wow. And it's just, it's, it's a love story. It's not like it's the, it's not like it's breaking new ground. You know, we talked yeah. about that last week that it's just like about two people who are from different backgrounds who fall in love and then they're better it because just, they met. And that's been done. It, it's supposed to be really good. And obviously it hit you in the really right way. It was, yeah. I feel like it was, it was really catering to what you like. I think so. Yeah. Not, not to reduce it to like, you like, you know, yeah, like romantic shows. Sure. But I do. And, and for that reason, I guess it wouldn't be for everybody. You have to be, open. Is, you have to be open to it. But it is done well. And, and for someone who's not necessarily, it's not necessarily like my, my, um, you know, the, the one thing that I look for in a show, but after watching the first show, I, I can say that I was, I was like, you know what? This seems like a great show. It just really surprises you. It, 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 it goes, it goes so far and really, yeah, yeah, it, it goes so far and like, I won't spoil it, but like the, the end is, I, I, I thought, I thought maybe it was going to end a certain way. Yeah. And and I was like, I'm gonna be mad if it ends this certain way. As much as I'm enjoying the show, I want I it shouldn't end this way. And then it ended that way, and I was like, oh, that's right, it should end that way. I had to see it to be convinced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm getting I'm getting very uh, like Juliet vibes. No, you don't need to. No. Okay. No. Right. no. Really, um, really beautiful. Really, really great. I, I wanted to text you on Saturday night uh, because I started watching Us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and th- there was a point, like, and I got over it. The next day I, I watched again. But there was a point in the movie that I stopped it. And Jen woke up and was like, what's going on? And I was like, I just had to stop Us because it was unfathomably scary. Wow. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I, I just didn't need that in my, in my psyche. It was right haunting now. you, not just scaring you. It was haunting you. It was just such a, like, there are certain things in movies that like happen early on. And it was just, it was kind of a combination of, of things that just felt creepy. Like the way that this us family kind of like, entered and acted and the the performances from the kind of like shadow family just within the first like 10 minutes it was too much for me i was like no the first thing that lapido nyango like says she's like like you know you're hearing her talk and everything else and then she's got this like these creepy eyes and a creepy smile and she speaks and it's like what i found out like it's like a very like Uh... Her, her voice is all coarse and we and it just like <laughs> i think i've seen are, i think i've seen something like that where she's doing that oh they're running on all fours it's like it is just 
not okay on a wow. Saturday night when you're like, I was just about to go to bed. <laughs> and you're watching it by yourself because Jen was asleep, so you're just watching it alone? Yes. Yeah. Hey, people should note that I, like, when you talk about this movie, your shoulders go up. Like, it Just to talk about it makes you tense. Yeah. Yeah, and and now that I'm through it, it's fine. Like it's not gonna haunt me. Like I I found that like once I learned more about it, it just and I knew that I had to get through it. But yeah, that first bit was just it was not okay with me. It didn't sit right. What a high compliment for Jordan that it was so affecting to you. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Are you now in the camp that she was snubbed by the Oscars that she should have been nominated? She was really good. Um, I don't know. I kind of forgot that that was a camp. I don't. Meh. I kind of forget who was all nominated, and I I don't know if we want to go down that road. But yeah, I just think the movie as a whole probably wasn't as good as Get Out, but you could see where he was coming from. Sure. I kind of want to Wikipedia it, go down a bit of a rabbit hole on like what everything was a metaphor for, because I had some like some ideas and and jen was even saying like what do you think like what does that mean and i was like well i think this means that anyways i want to like find out for sure so here's my experience when a horror movie really takes people by storm and people are psyched about it i always say that i can't do horror and then people try and downplay how scary it is so so that i'll watch it and that's that's how i ended up watching get out which did scare me but i'm so glad that i saw it I've known for a very long time there's no way I should ever watch Us, and you would confirm that's the case, or are you going to try and talk me out of it? No, you don't need to watch Us. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Like, you just, you don't. If, if I thought it, it stood to, like, maybe 10 years from now in the pantheon of Peel films, yeah, I'll say, well, you got to watch that to understand where he goes next and how it all kind of fits together, like like a Quentin Tarantino movie. But no, don't bother watching it right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, have you watched any more of John Krasinski's YouTube show, Some Good News? I did not. Because, like, you know, I get the point, but I don't real. I don't need to be uplifted so badly. I, I feel like it's very... I feel like he's enjoyable on it. Yeah, he's always likable. He's a little Johnny Radio on it, I will say. He puts on this, like, that, an announcer persona, which is kind of yeah, cringy. Yeah, he's like... I never said that you were allowed to do that. Right. <laughs> and then, go, but I kind of, I don't know. I just, it's, it's nice to see what his take as just a normal guy is on making a, a show. He's very likable and he's, um, he's clearly sunk a lot of energy into this. Like when, when the episodes come together, uh, you can tell like a lot of work went into this over like just a week. And I'm not sure when he put the first one out, if it, was supposed to be a series or if it was just going to be a one-off, but like it got so much traction and he made this whole little mini series, which is now kind of wrapped up. Although I'm going to segue into what comes next for SGN. Um, but it is also notable how John Krasinski has handled himself in the time of the coronavirus, especially when like, you know, celebrities who sang Imagine took so much flack for that. And like uh, some celebrities have been kind of, uh, self-serving and some kind of absent and that's fine um, I was going to save this for later although this is just as good a time to bring it up as any haircut night in America hosted by Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine where celebrities cut their hair at home on fucking live television is maybe the new low point for reality TV and the truest example of how we're in the darkest timeline that's a thing that's happening um, this is how badly some people are obsessed with being on television they'll just cut my hair on TV and and Rebecca Romaine will say, oops, you missed a spot. 
Um, there has to be some sort of a positive spin to it. Like there has to be like a charitable aspect. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there is, but it's notable that John Krasinski was among the first five movies, if not the first two movies to get reallocated, to get bumped because of theater shutting down and, and, and crowd discouragement. This movie, his, his movie that he directed, you know, it's the sequel to his other like little sleeper hit. Um, just got swept out from underneath him after he'd done a bunch of press for it and immediately he turned around this like really good-natured positive thing that brings a lot of people joy. And so whether or not you find it a little too schmaltzy, I, I do think he is to be congratulated for his attitude in this time. Um, yeah. That said, because there is such a machine of uh, enthusiasm behind anything associated with The Office, uh, some good news was just sold to Viacom CBS after a massive bidding war to become like a proper network TV show that he's going to produce but not host. And that's an interesting success story. It's also a terrible idea because <laughs> the whole charm of it was the fact that he was like doing it in his office and the graphic behind him was like Bristol board that his daughters painted with their fingers and it was Jim from the office and they've removed all the charm from it. Now it's just like a YouTube highlight reel of, of old men singing happy birthday to their old wives from a, behind a glass window or like kids drawing get well soon, grandpa and chalk on the driveway. Do you know what the first two Reddit comments are under this news? Okay. It's quote, what if we took something people like and made it not at all like something people would like? Yes, exactly. <laughs> And the next comment is, CBS, why are you the way you are? <laughs> Which is so true. Like, I just feel like it takes all of the good vibe out of what has happened. All of the soul and all of the scrappiness. Yeah. It's, it's basically just like a really saccharine America's Funniest Home Videos now. Yeah. <laughs> is that what the kind of stuff that he's showing? Or do you mean like what it's going to be? To his credit, yeah, this is the kind of stuff he's showing. And some of it's like, some, to his credit, as a person who like scours the internet for like positive human interest stories to talk about on the radio, he does seem to find things that I somehow haven't heard about. And like yeah. I just gave two examples, like like old men singing happy birthday to their wives from in the ICU or whatever. And like, like tear jerky stuff that's supposed to warm hot your take. heart. Hot take, he's staging it. You think? He's paying people. <laughs> All right. He's like, oh, this is going to get hits, baby. Oh, God. We're going to get clicks, views. <laughs> Wouldn't it be such a twist if John Krasinski was like a horrible person? It would be oh, like, bad it would guy. be so disorienting if he was just like a really bad dude. He's the new never trust. Yeah. I mean, he is <laughs> suspiciously likable. Uh, yeah. And that's the reason we <laughs> kind of don't trust Will Smith. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Mm. So I mentioned yeah, the I mentioned the darkest timeline. Did you watch any of the community reunion? I watched none of it at all. Um, did you? Yeah, I watched all of it. They did a table reading of an episode that I hadn't seen because it's a later episode after Piers is killed off. And yeah. instead of Walton Goggins, they got um, uh, Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian. Oh yes, and he's yeah. great. He's really good. Amazing. Um, Donald Glover's very present and hilarious in it. And then they actually do like a, a forty minute interview. Um, which, like, the interview is, uh, I don't know who this guy is. He does his best, I guess. He's just an entertainment journalist. He's trying so hard to, like, be in control of these 
nine incredibly charismatic, funny people who just want to talk to each other right. and not to him. So it went off the rails a little bit, but it was kind of nice. And of course, the takeaway from it is he asked, will you do the movie? And they were all like, sure. So that'll probably yeah. happen. It'll probably happen. Cool. There's been and a little bit of steam behind them the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And Donald Glover apparently said he was in, which I think was like a big, a big point for people to walk away with. Like, oh, the biggest star would still do this. Well, and it's interesting how he kind of becomes Troy again. Like, as much as he's obviously talented and I'm, I, I really am a fan of his, he's done nothing akin to Troy from Community since Troy from Community. In fact, he hasn't really been funny since. I mean, I know he did SNL, but like, he's quite a, like, a serious artist now. And he comes by that honestly. Uh, but he kind of slips back into like making poop jokes and it, it's pretty seamless. Right. So clearly there's a part of him that was never above it. He's still very much that guy. And so it's, it's kind of nice to see that. Oh, that's so interesting. I'd be, I'd be fascinated with watching that. Just knowing more about um, Donald Glover. I'm even fascinated watching early episodes of community now, like a few weeks ago when we talked about community, I watched like the first five episodes that night and it was so funny. It's it was so such funny. a blast. Yeah. That's a strong pilot too. Like you don't see a lot of comedy pilots that good. It's a strong pilot. And, and overall, I thought the first bunch of episodes were way better than I thought that than I had remembered them. Oh yeah. No, it's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Very fully Great. realized. Did yeah. you hear that the Snyder cut is coming out? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Are you excited about this? Because no. I'm not. No, I don't care. But, okay. I think that it's mythologized and it's going to be a good way for HBO Max to secure some more subscribers. And by the way, they're doing a way better job than Apple TV Plus of like getting people in the door uh, on their right. new subscription model. Um, so it's it's the Justice League, but it's Zack Snyder's edit. Of it. Right. So Zack Snyder made the Justice League movie and it wasn't very good. But the the urban legend is that he cut it and then basically the executives cut it differently. And the reason right. it's not good is because they didn't let him be the artist that he is. <laughs> right. And so everyone's like, well, I bet it would have been way better if we got to see the Snyder cut. So it's kind of a meme, to be honest. It's so funny right. that, except it it's never like would have, well, exactly. It never would have gone away. This, this, this wondering if they didn't actually like address it or, or put it out. So maybe there's some truth to it. It would be fascinating if it was a way better movie. Yeah. But like, it's almost impossible to think that it would be a way better movie. Although a lot of people say that editing is like, like the number one thing that makes it like that, that differentiates an Oscar movie from a regular. Movie. They say that star Wars was saved in the edit, that the first one that, right. that George Lucas cut was unintelligible. And then his editor, who was also his wife fixed it and won the Academy award that George Lucas still doesn't have. Burn. Yeah. So, I mean, it can make a difference, but it, it, like I said, it's a good way to get people in the door at HBO Max because, you know, people are weird about their, their comic book movies. And I like a comic book movie too, but I just, they have not given us enough to feel there's any need for investment in them making a really extraordinary movie at this point, the DCCU. True. So yeah, I wish them uh, the best of luck. But I mentioned Apple TV Plus trying to get people in the door. They just acquired Tom Hanks's movie Greyhound, which canceled its theatrical run. So uh, this is Tom Hanks's second screenplay. He didn't direct this movie, but he did write it and he's starring in it. Um, and it's like a battleship movie, which looks kind of cool. 
Oh, and the only other one he's done is that thing he do. Yes, which he also directed. Okay. Um, fun fact for Halifax people, uh, the HMCS Sackville actually makes an appearance in Greyhound, um, or at least a rendering of it. Uh, and so this movie's coming out on Apple TV+, Plus, which seems so stupid because... I mean, if you already have a subscription to it because you bought an Apple product in the last year, congratulations, I guess you're going to be able to watch this movie for free or for a fee. I will definitely, because I'm going to have to blog about it anyway, I'll pay the 20 bucks to rent this movie when it comes out if that's an option, if that's an opportunity. Um, But I'm definitely not signing up. As a person who hasn't bought an Apple product in over a year, I'm definitely not signing up for this subscription. What I will say is putting it on this platform that is so far flailing is just going to create more um hd uh illegal pirated versions of this online it's just gonna be way easier to rip it off 100 percent. yeah no doubt there with apple tv plus yeah it's dumb oh Uh, uh, otherwise sorry go ahead well we were talking about the justice league anyway so it's worth mentioning the batwoman that ruby rose left the show this is like a big thing yeah because she was like, I don't know if she felt like abused. She said the long hours of shooting were so in- intense. I don't know. I I think maybe she got in over her head signing up for a 22 episodes a year show. I think that's limiting and there's there. it's valid, you know, if you want to be on screen a lot. But like these Arrowverse shows are notoriously um, uh, taxing. There's been like a lot of onset injuries making these shows. They're a long run. I don't think you get to be much of an actor outside of working on this show if you're working on one of these shows and it pays the bills but like it might not be that fulfilling and so she found it right. to be not what she wanted it to be so she's leaving the show that she's the star of after a year and the show is going to move on without her which is very bizarre right they're just gonna cast someone new i mean it's easy with with these characters because you can just like create a new character and have them put on the cowl right be like, oh, I am the the Batwoman never dies. Right, that's right, that's no, right. A, a symbol lives forever. I am the knight. Yeah. Did you hear about uh, Lori Loughlin? Yeah. Okay. Is she sentenced yet? I know she's pleading guilty. She pled guilty, and apparently, she's only going to do, according to Jen. This is not according to news. Um, she's only going to do like sixteen months. Oh, that's more than I thought. And. Uh, yeah, 16 months and a $150,000 fine. Are you sure 16 months? Because that sounds like a lot more than I expected. The actress... Oh, no. The actress agreed to two months in jail, yeah. 24 months of supervised release. That's what I heard, but I didn't get it confirmed, so I didn't want to say it. Two months is very little. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I think Felicity Hubman only got like 10 days or something. I saw there were some articles that were like she um, she was so brazen. believable in saying that yeah so brazen in saying like I did nothing wrong mm-hmm. why is she pleading guilty at all and uh, like at this point I I don't know if she's sacrificing something and she actually like clearly she's not innocent no I don't think not. anyone believes she's innocent no. So, and, yeah, and apparently sure she's she like more guilty than Felicity Huffman. Like that's the idea is that that Felicity Huffman's right. crime, at least just in dollars and cents, was small potatoes compared to Lori Laughlin and also Massimo. And how long is Felicity Huffman put away for? I think she got like a week and a half. 
Oh, okay. And she got out for good behavior. Like, I think I think they gave her like 14 days and she got out in 10. Right. <laughs> Which is going to happen for Lori Loughlin too. If she's if she's given 2 months, they'll she let her out in 5 weeks. Yeah. She did her time. And then she'll come back to Fuller House or 902. Is she on Fuller House? She was. She was. I'm not sure if they're still doing Fuller House, though. I think they might have ended. Timothy Oliphant's going to be in The Mandalorian. Love it. Jen, okay. Tell me what you think about this. I can't believe it. Jen says that Timothy Oliphant is a unattractive man. Oh, interesting. And I say, you think, I immediately respond with, you think that I'm more attractive than Timothy Oliphant? <laughs> and she's like, why do you always do this? Like, yes, I married you. I, and I'm like. No, this is perfectly and reasonable. And you think I'm, I'm more attractive than Timothy Oliphant? And she's like, he is not an attractive man. Like, she, I don't know if she says, like, he's, like, ew, like, gross. But she's like. So not into Timothy Olivant, who is a traditionally handsome a movie star. I like how your instinct is not to be flattered, but to question your wife's judgment. <laughs> to like, yeah, yeah. No, I kind of agree, one hundred percent. I'm like, you're, you know, I'm not more attractive than Timothy Olivant, Jen. Well, and Timothy Olivant also has uh, just an X factor about him. I thought this right away when I first saw him. I don't remember when that was, but like, no, he's definitely handsome and he's got all those dimples and he's just got like a, a an interesting energy that i'm not familiar with anywhere else and so jen is wrong totally. on this one she's wrong on this one totally yeah he's a real like he was probably like the original pick for jeff winger yeah I, you could say he's the mold of jeff winger yeah right yeah yeah they they had to go like we need someone like timothy oliphant timothy oliphant could be a good game where you you replace you swap him in for other actors who were less than memorable in roles. Like would a movie have been better with Timothy Oliphant? He tends to make things better. What was his first, his first big thing was really, um, uh, what's it called? Deadwood. Deadwood. Yes. I, I think he's been around a little longer than, than, than Deadwood was. I think he was probably working before that, but that's probably his biggest long, long-term job. And it's kind of interesting that he's going to be on The Mandalorian, which is a Western. Like, he's kind of a Western actor. He's almost typecast now. Well, and he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. He definitely was. I think he was. In, like, a brief briefly, cowboy role. Yeah, he was, briefly, as it may have been. So that's kind of typecasty. Yeah. I'm gonna have to mull that yeah. one over a little while because, no, I, I, I actually I like this this let's gush about Timothy Oliphant segment of the show. This has been valid. So he was he was most notably in Scream Two, A Man Apart in 2003, The Girl Next Door in 2004, and then Deadwood was really his big breakthrough. Sure, um, he was in starring roles in Catch and Release, Hitman, A Perfect Getaway, The Crazies. Um, and he played the main antagonist in Live Free or Die Hard in 2007. You know what he is? He's um, he's that phrase that you hear sometimes about Brad Pitt, which is, um, well, he's the opposite of what Brad Pitt is, actually, because they say that Brad Pitt is a character actor disguised as a movie star, and he's right. he's kind of like a movie star disguised as a character actor, or maybe it's maybe it's the inverse of that. I'm not sure which, but like he seems to have properties of both 
Right. Right. Obviously justified was his other big thing. I I'm a big fan of his performance in the grinder. Oh, sure. The little known, uh, Rob Lowe vehicle for lack of a better word. The grinder was good. Which I've got a, a huge soft spot for. Yep. Well, like I said, he's, so funny he me. has a small arc in the Mindy project too. He's just a likable, cool guy. Totally. Totally. And Jen's such a Mindy project fan. Well, uh, she'll be into this then. Uh, Reese Witherspoon returning for Legally Blonde 3, which would be a terrible idea, except Mindy Kaling's going to write it. Oh, wow. So that's not such a terrible idea. All right. She was obviously into the movies. That checks out, doesn't it? That's on brand. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And the only other thing um, worth talking about for entertainment news is that the Oscars are likely to be postponed, that it's not officially confirmed at the time uh, of this recording. But they're talking about postponing the Oscars, I guess, because not enough movies are coming out this year and they don't feel like Sonic the Hedgehog is best picture material. So they're probably going to push it deeper into 2021. Well, it looks like the fix is in. The screw job for Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Never stood a chance. It's official. (laughs) They've always been against Sonic the Hedgehog, the Academy. (laughs) When's it going to get its due? (laughs) <laughs> They've never even talked about it. <laughs> so that'd be interesting. But I don't know what else we can say about that. Yeah. Shall we talk about shows? Yeah. I think we can get into shows. I am going to go first. I'm going to recap the first episode of The Great on Amazon Prime, which stars Al Fanning and Nicholas Holt. I have my stopwatch okay. here. You count me down. All right. You are going to recap The Great in three Two, one, go. Catherine is romantic and kind of naive. She thinks when she's summoned to appear before the emperor of Russia that she's being sized up to be his wife uh, and they're going to fall in love and everything will be swell. Um, And she's very disappointed to learn that he's sleazy and and horny and and drunk all the time. He gets her a bear, which she wanted, but then uh, he shoots the bear, punches her in the stomach for being insolent. Uh, She has a chamber maiden who kind of plants in Catherine's head that if she were to kill the emperor, she could then be empress uh, by default, and so that's kind of where the episode ends, where she's going to maybe plot to kill her uh, her husband, the Emperor, because she hates him, and he's he's not as romantic as she had idealized. Yes, he is the worst. He is the worst, but, and I've seen two episodes now, uh, he doesn't get any better in the second episode. Very funny, good performance. He is funny, yeah. Um. I would like for them to introduce some kind of redeeming quality to him as the second biggest character in the show so that I can like be a little conflicted about him. Because right now, right. it's very easy to see how hateable he is. That will sustain. I'm always going to be on Catherine's side in this show. Uh, but they probably should like introduce some sensitivity, like probably with his mother, right? Like He seems to be a bit of a mama's boy, and he's like saving his mummified mother in a case. Yes. That was one of my favorite lines in the first show is like, when he says something to the effect of like, oh, they should really uh, have a business where people explain people's issues with their moms. <laughs> Might be some money in that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, actually I looked up um, and in real life, uh, Emperor Peter of Russia, uh, his mother died 20 days after he was born. I'm not sure if that's present in the show, but it's implied that like he like misses his mom and in real life, yeah. he never knew his mom. Never even are. Um, what, uh, that's so great. 20 days after being born. I'm also just kind of stuck on that. 
But uh, what did you think? When did you did you like this show? Obviously, you did because you watched the second episode too. I really liked the show. I thought that they captured a cool tone. It's it's notable that it's written by the same person who wrote the favorite, which won Olivia Coleman Best Actress a couple years ago, and it's it's kind of the similar um, era. I mean, maybe it's not this, exactly the same era, but there's actually. Um, one set piece in this show that looks like it might have just been repurposed from The Favorite. It looks just like The Bedroom um, in that movie. The Favorite is also a dark comedy. This is much lighter than The Favorite. It's like... Oh, is it? Yeah, this is... I mean, this is clearly a comedy. Um, yes. And there's some severed heads. Uh, right. But it's... I think it toes the line really nicely. It has this like kind of modern comedic sensibility, certainly an edge... They say the F word a lot. Um, like we said, he's really funny. Um, but it, I don't know. And I, I, I want to talk about this a little bit when we talk about Dickinson in a few minutes too. But like there's there's this kind of tired history of modernizing uh, old Victorian and like ancient European um, novel cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, modernizing it by like, you know... Uh, the Baz Luhrmann, Great Gatsby, where it's modern because the soundtrack is Jay Z. Like I find that to be kind of a, a cheap hack. Right. Uh, this what do you show, think about the? What do you think about like Romeo plus Juliet? Also Baz Luhrmann. Because the the dialogue is the same. Yeah, I I mean that that movie. Some people love that, and I mean if you love Romeo and Juliet, that makes a lot of sense to me. That movie is an interesting relic now it's like it's like a little time capsule because it was made to look modern and now it doesn't look modern either like it's no, so clearly that's why i love it, it it's, yeah it's almost better now because it's also this weird anachronistic visual with this this classic text and none of it is natural to us um, it's almost like jesus christ superstar if if the, the dialogue was changed. That's a good comparison. It's a lot like Jesus Christ Superstar. And I think that this show pulls it off. I think that like, and it's not so overt. I mean, there's no musical numbers in it, for example, and it's not written like Shakespeare. It's an original text. Um, But you believe it, other than the fact that they're all supposed to be Russian and they all have British accents. Um, It's believable that they talk this way. Whereas in Dickinson, they're like, sup dude. And it's Emily Dickinson. And you're like, that's, I know you're doing this on purpose, but like, this is, this doesn't work for me. Um, I love yeah. that. I love the chambermaid. I think that uh, she gets even better in the second episode. She's just got like this, this dark side to her and she's going to tell Catherine like how it really is. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a whole it's, lot it, of uh, observations. It definitely seemed a little more put together. Yes. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I will say without going too much in the next one, I think I'm a little more excited uh about where like dickinson could go interesting i just think it's got like a youthful exuberance that i'm like a little more friendly with i think i feel about Haley steinfeld the way i also feel about ansel elgort save one or two performances this person is just a charismatic vacuum there's i don't get it right and and so in the sense that that they are extremely charismatic or you just like can't stand them. No, there's just lacking. They're just lacking any kind of pull except so I, I, I love, ba- I love baby driver. And I, and I love a movie that Haley Steinfeld's in called the edge of 17, which interestingly was going to get a series order to be adapted as a TV show. And that was not greenlit as of today. So, which is good. Cause 
you should watch The Age of 17 if it's on Netflix. Um, Woody Harrelson is in it. It's just a sweet coming of age story, and she's very good in it. But for the most part, I knew I, nothing I th- about this girl. Yeah, before seeing her name in the credit, and I was like, "Wait, she's she's a name." Yeah, she got nominated for an Oscar. She was in True Grit with Jeff Bridges. Oh shit! Yeah, she was very young at the time, though, right? She was, yeah, and she was in a couple of the Pitch Perfect movies. She's been around for a little while. Yeah, and she's not a I bad actor. I just, Grit. I'm I'm just missing something with her. Elle Fanning, on the other hand is so present in this. I think she's really awesome. I, I definitely give my ass to, to the great. I think it's really good. Uh, I thought there was like a, maybe too obvious a Trumpiness to Emperor Peter, but not like, I don't know if that was deliberate, but like it kind of felt like everyone just bows to his will and he's clearly an idiot. But that's also, that existed as a funny thing in Shakespeare before totally. I did Trump. Yeah. Totally. I, yeah, I would find it hard. Well, I, I did start to wonder, like, do you think they made this um, specifically uh, about, like, sorry, I got a text from my dad halfway through that, and it threw me off. Uh, do you think that they made this specifically about Russia, like, at this time? Yeah, that's because interesting. Because it's kind of, like, it's also a little bit of a hot-button issue? Well, I don't, maybe, I, except for that, like, yes, because at the end, um, when she decides, when she gets like a little pep talk from the chambermaid, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. Basically, this 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 uh, this valet woman is trying to convince Catherine to kill her husband so she can be the Empress of Russia, and then like the great love story of which she's always dreamed can be between her and Russia. That maybe the real love of her life is taking care of Russia and making it the great nation right. it can be, which is cool. Right. I, I like that as a premise certainly what we know of Russia now is not as this like free, beautiful society. No, like people would say, Oh wow. What an idealistic look like. It's never actually been, been that it's right. never, I don't think been completely loved by the people of Russia, but just taking as, from what we're led to believe, taking our, our own gaze away from it. It's just a cool story. Like I'm surprised I didn't know the story about the empress who plotted to have her emperor husband killed so she could take over and then uh, greatly rule the largest nation on earth. Like that is kind of a cool concept. It's kind of funny. It hasn't been dramatized before. Right. Yeah. I I found the whole thing pretty funny. Um, Very cinematic. Yes. Expensive looking. Yeah. Like I felt like I was, I hadn't seen the favorite, but I felt like I was watching a, a 12 like one twelfth of the favorite. And then it's also notable that the subtitle of the show is an occasionally true story. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious they're taking liberties. I don't know what they're liberating from like the, the main plot, but going to go ahead and say diversity is probably something that they're, they're uh, straying away from a little bit, which I was happy for. Like, you know, they're giving people jobs. Hamilton broke the ceiling, I guess. And and also Dickinson does the same thing. Yes. When Wiz Khalifa turns up as death. (laughs) As death. (laughs) But at least it's kind of believable to think that death is, and they made, they made like an, a ball, uh, an abolitionist joke. Right. It's like, well, I'm not going to go so edgy here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you give your S to the great? I do. Sure. Okay. Uh, You know what? I'm, uh, I'm not going to watch it. That's okay. But I guess it's one of those ones where I'm like, I realize I see the validity and, in the show that's very generous of you okay you recap the pilot <laughs> episode of dickinson in three 
two, one, go. So the show recaps Emily Dickinson as like a 16-year-old. Her mother wants her to move out of the house. She's trying to set her up with potential suitors. The first suitor is George, um, who actually wants to publish one of her poems. She says she's not going to go out on a date with him because she's only interested in her brother's girlfriend who she actually has made out with um they're supposed to move away then they don't the father gets extremely upset that she actually did get published by george's publication and talks with uh wiz khalifa right yeah well she's so she has a crush on her friend i don't know anything about emily dickinson nothing neither do i zip i literally i i, I honestly could tell you zero i I don't even think i've ever read any of her poems maybe in like high school even like i do not yeah yeah so and i think she was kind of a a mystery apparently until her poems were dug up by some housemaid this i found interesting and that that's kind of what they're i don't know if they're going to subvert that but they do say before anything actually takes place in the story uh emily dickinson died an unsuccessful poet nobody knew and then afterward her work was found and oh look it's amazing but it seems like in this show that's not gonna happen well yeah it seems like in this show people like like recognize her as a genius although she might not have been published people seem to know that she's writing poems and doing things yeah but also it's just boys who want to marry her are calling her a genius that's true yeah like there's also this like existing um tone but, that, but, that a lot of men don't brother, think women should should be uh seeking a career in in literature like her father flips out i don't think it is just boys because like at, at one point like george george this one of the suitors is talking to her brother and i don't think it's just because he's in love with her he's like are you kidding me like she's a genius and the brother seems super put off he's like oh i hate it when people say that right that's true like it seems to be like a thing that people just generally accept about her Fun fact, I just mentioned Edge of Seventeen. Also uh, about uh, Haley Steinfeld's best gal pal falling in love with her brother. Oh, interesting. Also the premise of that movie. I would have liked if this show had some Woody Harrelson in it. Like, <laughs> if he was the dad, that would have been awesome. You know, John Mulaney's in this show. I do. I, I'm so curious on when, like, John Mulaney... I think Nick Kroll pops up at some point, doesn't he? Mulaney plays Henry David Thoreau. Uh, We already mentioned that Wiz Khalifa plays death. And and by the way, I like the, that's really the only thing that kind of indicates that she is unique in any capacity. And maybe that was an artistic choice, but I had a little bit of trouble believing that she's this genius poet as a young woman, because she does not seem wise. She just kind of seems like, like scatterbrained, which I guess you can be if you're a great writer. She just kind of seems like, like Haley Steinfeld, to be honest. Um, but the only thing that sh- that kind of sets her apart imaginatively is that she believes herself to be having this like torrid affair with death himself and he pulls up in this gothic carriage and they go on lustful rendezvous. And yeah. that's pretty, it's pretty funny. It's a cool visual. I like that the horses are ghosts. It's true. Although I think they could have used Wiz Khalifa in a little bit more of an interesting way. Like yep. they, they, his dialogue could have been said by anyone. Right. It was only visually the fact that it was Wiz Khalifa that you were like, oh, this is like, ooh, really subversive. Um, but I, I I think they should have let him have a little more fun with it. Jane Krukowski plays the mom, and she's not exactly Jenna Maroney. She's still comedic, but in a smaller way. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the sister isn't very funny either. The whole joke is that they want uh, Emily to move out and get married, but they want the other sister to stay. And Right, but then Je- we, we find out at the end, her dad doesn't want her to leave. Like he First, he blows up when he finds out she's written a poem and it's going to be published. And then he comes into her bedroom at night crying, and he's like, don't get married and leave me. And she says, I won't. Right, yeah. So then we wonder, is that maybe why she never got famous because of you know maybe yeah she stays she she doesn't want to displease her father and wants to well maybe that's the move brother. maybe 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 he's just kind of faking his emotionality here yeah because he's just angry and he doesn't want her to be famous and embarrassing what an insane thing and it's hard to it's hard to picture because it's such a different time but like what an insane thing to be extremely angry about yes i know well, and he wants to run for the House of Representatives, right? Like he thinks it's going to be embarrassing right. if he is trying to be an important man, a great man, and his daughter is <sighs> writing poems in the newspaper. But like, again, that wouldn't be, I don't think it would be an issue today. Maybe it would. <laughs> no, people oh, are actually pretty sacred about politicians' kids. Did you think the soundtrack was a little shoehorned? Like, yes. You know, so that that's what Billie I meant. Eilish in that. Yes. You, you weren't you weren't liking that. No, like I said earlier, when they basically use like Watch the Throne in The Great Gatsby, and it's supposed to be some kind of right. artful juxtaposition. I am just so grateful that Greta Gerwig's Little Women isn't scored by like Sia or something. Sure. Because yeah. that we're you in know, a world where that could happen. I had time for it. Yeah. I was okay. I I. If if for no other reason than to keep my finger on the pulse of youth culture, I was like, <laughs> what are the kids listening to now? Oh, cool. I kind of feel like a minute. But it is on the nose that, that Billie Eilish plays when death rolls up. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I, th- I think it stands to get funnier. Maybe. Um, I mean, like, you know, John Mulaney signed on for it. Also, Jason Manzukas is going to turn up at some point. Like there has to be some some enjoyment in that. I think season two has been ordered for it. Well, and when you involve these guys, the show almost takes on uh, documentary now kind of quality, which exactly is, which yeah. is better. I like that. Right. Which I haven't watched any of documentary now. No, me neither. No. <laughs> so uh, I'm just kind of I'm assuming. <laughs> apparently, it's supposed to be incredible. Like uh, like the Blue Jean Committee is like basically a take on the Eagles documentary. Yeah. I got to take that down. It's supposed to be great. Yeah, I should make some time for that. I got to tell you, I don't really give my ass to Dickinson. This was definitely the correct spiritual pairing uh, with the great. Not that our shows have to relate to one another, but like it's kind of why we decided to wait this long to talk about Dickinson. It was a really smart idea to pair these two, but because Mm -hmm. they were paired together, I think I was less inclined to give Dickinson as much time because I was really pleased with the great. That's good. I was I was hoping that that there would be some disparity amongst the shows. Yeah. Um. I give I give Dickinson my ass. I, like I said, I've I've got some time for it. I think it's got some room to grow. I don't know that I will watch it, but I'm I am curious enough to to watch more of it. Well, it's on Apple TV Plus, so unless you have a, well, a default subscription, it's it's behind that paywall and it's too complicated. It's also really hard to find Dickinson on IMDb. It's just kind of like this little show nobody knows about, but it features a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but you won't watch any more of it. Well, no. First of all, it's too hard for me to get a hold of, and it just didn't really grab me. But I, I like The Great. I'm going to keep watching that. There is a really gruesome scene in the second episode of The Great where 
they've slaughtered a bunch of, um, I think Swiss and over dinner, they bring in a bunch of, uh, Swiss soldiers heads to sit next to each place setting so they can like stare their, um, conquest in the eye while they eat. And then they all just okay. start like poking the skulls in the eyes with their fingers. <laughs> it's real gruesome uh-huh. <laughs> and it's campy, but it's it definitely like they go really far with it in like a family guy way. So from the great, uh, the guy who plays Peter, he's, he's beast in uh, the newer versions of the X-Men movies. Oh mm-hmm. yes. I'm so sorry. I was shaking my head because I thought you were going to say he's the new beauty and the beast, which is no, uh, yeah. What's his name from Downton Abbey? Yeah, Nicholas Holt. He's he's an X Men. He was his first big role was he was the little kid. Uh, he was Marcus in About a Boy. I knew he was a little kid in something. That's so crazy. He was Marcus in About a Boy, and in the second episode, I paused it and went back, and I was and I said to Becky, "Did you just see what I saw?" And he does. Was a, he also he, in Finding Neverland? No, that's Freddie Highmore, the Good Doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he does this thing in the second episode where, uh, he does a Hugh Grant, whether intentionally or not, he does like a very clear Hugh Grant ism. And, right. and so I don't know if that's just something that's existed in his acting arsenal cause it was planted there when he was, but a child or, right. or He's if it was charmingly just, befuddled, exactly. Charmingly befuddled. And he is charming in it. He's very funny and likable. He's good in this show. Right. Yeah. And he genuinely like, it's so weird because he you see us there's a scene where he's clearly upset his wife and then like the next morning he's like trying to kind of like make an inroad right but then he kind of the thing is like he'll only give it a second and then kind of blow up and run away well i think that's where it's going he is very callous and awful and selfish but he does kind of like her he like he doesn't seem to want to make her miserable. In fact, he even says that at one point in the second episode. He's like, "Listen, we should probably get you a lover or something cuz clearly you and I are not vibing and I don't want to have to kill you cuz I like you." <laughs> and so right. like he's, he's tries I, to like in his own way like be diplomatic. And he's so upset that she doesn't like like him that and like he's going to his council going like, "I thought you like what happened here?" Yeah. She doesn't like me at all. So there could be something there, but it's also not unlike Dickinson, not getting a lot of buzz so far. And everybody has Amazon Prime, so I'm not sure why that is. Uh, Maybe it's too niche. True. True. Do you think people are using Amazon Prime for TV, though? Yeah, I think people are. I kind of think people don't even realize that they have this extra element. That was me for like two years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big, it was a, an interesting day when I was like, oh my God. I, I have, have so this. much access. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Will Smith news. I don't. Uh, I got I one. I don't have anything. You got one. All right. Yeah. J- just today, he invested in a new company, a company called Run the World. Um, they're an on- <laughs> they're an online events platform for virtual experience. Okay. And so he and also Kevin Hart, interestingly, they're like the celebrity investors who are getting in on the ground floor, assuming that because of all this that's going on, there's going to be more virtual experience taking place where people can like go to music festivals in their basement or like obviously watch new movies in their living rooms and run the world is apparently a platform that facilitates that and Will Smith's on the ground floor. 
Oh, it sounds to me like uh, like someone like Ja Rule had a good idea for one of these a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's an interesting point. You think that we're going to be watching the Run the World documentary in a few years? I think it's going to be super interesting to find out what Will Smith's staff is going to do for a flat of water in a couple of years. Oh, so interesting. Well, yeah, I, I remember thinking that Ja Rule should have gone to jail and he didn't. So do you think that because of, and he has a modicum of fame compared to Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Oh yeah, he's untouchable. Do you think that Will Smith will also incriminate himself and get off scot-free here in this little scheme he's cooking up? Well, if it's anything like the Lori Laughlin uh, <laughs> story, yeah, he'll be fine. He'll, he'll pin it on Willow. Probably, or, or Kevin Hart. Or Kevin Hart, although who's also mega famous. Yeah, he, I know, but maybe we should get on the horn with Kevin Hart and let him know never to trust Will Smith. Maybe he hasn't watch out, man. Clearly, hasn't listened to our podcast. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, you obviously haven't talked to Will Smith yet. How you? <laughs> and while you're hey, at man, it, I'm best friends with Will Smith. While you're at it, uh, never trust uh, John Krasinski either. It's true. Don't trust John Krasinski. The only one you can trust. Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> uh, it's true. We've been a big pro Oliphant podcast tonight. <laughs> pro Oliphant. Well, then let's end on a end on a positive this week. It's been a tough week, a long week. I didn't get off on a very restful start. We're we're pro Oliphant. <laughs> That's right. Stay well, and uh, never never trust Will Smith. <laughs> but never trust Will Smith. Yeah, this show's not over until it's said. <laughs> That's right. That's the closer.